Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, I'm going to answer a few questions. We have a few of them in today, so thanks to all the people that sent them in. I'm going to talk about whether or not I recommend going into debt to buy content for your niche site. We're going to talk about uh, accounting software very briefly, which is, uh, <laughs> well, that's a nerdy, a nerdy topic, but it is an important thing to cover. And we have uh, a site that is declining over time, yet it's still earning money. And uh, some people wanted to know what to do in this situation. Actually, I have a couple questions and it's kind of a, a theme that I've seen a couple times. Someone else also asks about siloing. So if you have questions out there, you can shoot me an email, feedback at doug.show, and I potentially will answer them live on the show. It's always good to hear what's going on. And I think that covers all of the questions we're going to go over today. I may hit a tangent here or there, as, as you know, if you've listened to this show before, you know, occasionally I'll just tell random stories that uh, some people find interesting occasionally. One thing to note, I'm actually recording a video this time as well. I don't always do that, but I decided a handful of times I'm actually going to record some video, put it out on YouTube, and I do have a YouTube channel. It's interesting. Um, there are, you know, distinct distinctly different audiences. So there's some people that only watch YouTube. There's some people that only listen to the podcast. And there's some people that only read the blog, but honestly, I don't blog that often. So I I suspect those are just people that found the blog from YouTube or the podcast. But in either case, I am recording video this time and I will make a uh, request. If you are watching on the video side and you do listen to podcasts, check out the podcast as well. It's on all the big directories out there and check it out. There's a few episodes that I only publish on the podcast and not on YouTube at all. Like I said, I decided to publish a few of these and it's interesting because on YouTube, people have a much shorter attention span and there are a million other distractions and videos that you can watch. Most people also watch on their phone. So there are other apps to compete with as well. That said, a long form video like this one or a podcast, if you're listening to audio, people may get turned off. In fact, a handful of people may be just bailing out now because I haven't gotten to the point yet on the podcast. The audio version is much different. People will listen for you know, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours. People will listen to very long episodes because typically they're doing something else at the same time and they can you know, listen in the car whenever they get to where they're going, then maybe they stop. Then maybe they pick it up again later when they're doing dishes or something like that. So I'm a consumer of both podcast and YouTube in a pretty significant way. I watch a lot of videos, a lot of, you know, usually not marketing related videos, just other random videos, some travel, a lot of guitar stuff, a lot of music. And on the podcast side, it's um, some productivity, some lifestyle, some guitar, some other just random comedy type podcast as well. 
And like I said, I'm a big consumer of both and I, I appreciate both of those. So anyway, thanks for watching or listening to this episode. Before I get into the meat of everything today, we got to thank a sponsor and that is Otis Global, the source for premium and aged domains. The featured domain for today is puremassage.com. And it was a domain that had professional massage services, but it also ran a training school for people that wanted to get into the industry. It was created back in 2005. So it is, wow, is it 17 years old? Is that math right? Domain rating is 24. Domain authority is 37. At least when I pulled the data, depends on when you're listening to this as well. There are many options for this domain. I'm not going to go too in-depth because it can go, um, well, we can probably spend a whole episode talking about what you could do with certain domains. Most of the time, it comes down to informational content of which you probably can come up with a lot of different ideas for this. You can put display ads and monetize with uh, or monetize that informational content. The other side is affiliate, and I think that's the big opportunity here. There are product reviews that you can uh, publish and get affiliate revenue from, you know, Amazon co covers a lot of these products, but you could also work with specific brands, probably get a higher commission rate and potentially just spread the risk of, you know, working with just one affiliate partner. The big thing is you probably can partner with massage schools or promote massage courses. Those are going to be higher ticket items and the courses I am talking about digital courses. So typically those commissions are going to be a very high percentage because the overhead is so low and the margins are so high. So typically you're going to get a much higher percentage. It's probably going to be, you know, a fairly expensive course as well. There are in-person courses and you can probably make partnerships or develop partnerships with the different in-person schools across the country, across the world, and have uh, referral fees or some partnership with them. I'm not 100% sure what you might work out, but that is definitely possible. With these age domains, there are backlinks already there. So this one has 62 unique referring domains, 47 are do follow, and it has links from places like National Geographic, pbs.org, dailymail.co.uk, vice.com, guidestar.org, and many more. If you join Otis using my affiliate link, you can get $100 in your account, and I might earn a commission if you buy something. So thanks a lot to Otis. Now let's answer some questions here. Okay, so let's talk about going into debt. I think that is probably a question that many people have. There's a diverse audience out there. There are some people who are uh, professionals, they have high salaries, they have a budget, maybe they've sold something. They've sold a, a piece of property and they have some money to invest. Maybe they, they were uh, given some stock and they sold that or they had, basically they have a chunk of money for some reason and they want to spend it. That's a small set of people. The other set are people that want to, you know, start a side hustle because they want to earn some on the side and they don't have the capital to invest. So this question is from Mac, who is a longtime listener. He says, um, actually, I'll read the, the subject line. Should I go into debt for website growth? Here's what Mac says. 
Hey, Doug, I'm a big fan of your channel and podcast. I understand to grow a website, I have to crank out as much content as I can. More content equals more traffic, equals more page views, equals more revenue from Ezoic. Thanks for plugging a uh, longtime sponsor. Next, uh, we go on and say, content outsourcing is getting expensive and I don't have a budget and content writing is not my thing. Should I go into debt, i.e. credit cards to buy more content for my website and hopefully it'll pay off in the future? What's your advice? Thanks. Okay, so Mac and I have emailed you know, over the years and I remember you know, getting the, his emails in the past, so it's good to hear from him. And for the people that are watching on YouTube, you know I'm wearing a Mile High Fi t-shirt and that is Mile High for the Mile High City, Denver. I'm actually in Longmont, but it's close enough. And we're about 4,900 feet or something like that, which is just about 300 feet short of, <laughs> of a mile high. And the Fi part is financial independence. All right, so financial independence and personal finance is another interest of mine. And I have this other podcast with my friend, Carl Jensen, We'll put a link to that if you want to check it out. But if you reach financial independence, depending on how you define it, you don't have to work anymore for money. You have enough money to live off the interest of your investments. There's a lot of different ways to do it. A lot of people use index funds as their investment vehicle, and then you could live off those investments. Other people like real estate. I personally don't like real estate. I do prefer the more passive sort of index funds. And this is not financial advice. Consult your professionals. That is just what I personally do. Some people do love real estate. They like, you know, rental properties. They like um, checking out homes. They like the whole process. And I just personally don't like it myself, but it's great for the people that do enjoy it. So all I'm telling you all this because I have a pretty strong belief around the financial independence idea where work is optional. You can work and work is a, a rewarding thing if you pick the right things to work on and you're doing something that you enjoy with people that you enjoy and then it doesn't feel like work and you get a lot more out of it. So I highly recommend you know learning a little bit about personal finance budgeting, money management, that sort of thing to get your shit in order. So should you go into debt? And just, I can tell you, no, I don't recommend that you go into debt to invest in your website. Specifically, Mac mentions credit cards and credit cards are a terrible idea if you're not paying off your credit card every month. If you have debt, and you have credit card debt, the interest is staggering. If you you know, run the numbers and do the math, if you're only paying the minimum balance and you have a, say, a 20 to 24% interest rate, I mean, that is huge. That adds up really quickly. And if you only pay the minimum amount, I don't think you're ever gonna catch up. I haven't run the numbers, but it is uh, staggering if you, if you operate that way. The tough part is the ROI is so variable on content. I personally believe it's a major risk in the fact that you have the interest rates 
on credit cards being so high, your ROI is probably not going to work out. I haven't done this yet, but I think it would be an interesting exercise for me to create a scenario, create a common scenario, add in the interest rates that you might have to pay for credit card debt and take a look at how much your content might have to earn in order to make that ROI positive. If you're just thinking about it logically, you would have to make more than the interest rate and cover the initial outlay. So the interest rate, like I said, assume like, we'll just say 22%. I haven't looked in a while. We use credit cards for almost all of our expenses, but we pay it off every month and have been doing that for, for years. That said, you would have to make a huge amount ROI-wise in order to um, not only break even, but to then make a profit. The one way that it, it might work out, right? So if you if you look at the valuation of the site based on the monthly multiple, that could be a way where you're like, okay, if I sold the site, then I could get a big chunk of money, pay off the credit card debt, and you're actually getting paid for you know something like, we'll say, 28 to 42 months of revenue all ahead of time. So if you sell a site, you get a multiple, usually it's about, you know, mid thirties or so on average, plus or minus a few months in there, just depending on a variety of factors that are beyond the scope of what we're talking about today. But overall, I would say avoid debt if you can. There's some debt that is more acceptable, like a mortgage for your home. Typically, those are lower interest rates. They're a little bit higher right now, but like when we got this place, it was like around 3%. So it just happened to be a good time. Now they're up higher. They could be much different at the time that you're listening to this, but those kind of interest rates are more acceptable and it's for a home. And, you know, borrowing and only having to pay, you know, three point whatever percent is a lot better than, you know, 22%. So the recommendation I gave to Mac is learn to be a better writer. So he says that he doesn't have a budget and there's no free ride. Like if you, if you're paying for content and it's really cheap, it's probably going to be shitty quality. A great skill to have is communicating and writing well. And if you could work on that and just you know put in the time, you can get better. I was a very poor writer. I'm not great now, but it, it's better than it was. And I, you know, I worked on it for a long time where I I, I tried to emulate people that I read myself and then, you know, it sounds a little contrived. I'm using words that I wouldn't normally use. And then once I got my head around it, got the mechanics and just got some practice under my fingers as I was typing, I kind of went over to a a different type of, I guess, content creation where it was more like how I would talk which is what you should do. So it's, people call it finding your voice. And, you know, you can write different differently than you speak, of course, but it, it can be very natural if you just think how you would tell a story to a friend. I think Tim Ferriss mentions about the four-hour work week that 
he would open up a compose email in like Gmail and pretend like he was emailing a couple of his friends. Then he could just write in a casual way, just like he was talking to his friends. So if you think about it that way, you can create the same sort of scenario where you're simulating something where it's a lower pressure environment. Pretend like you're emailing your best friend and you just want to tell a story. Then you don't have to you don't have to think about it too much. You're just thinking of an audience of one. You're not trying to satisfy everyone. You're just telling the story or whatever you're communicating to the one person. So yeah, like I said, there's no free ride. If you don't have much of a budget and it's getting expensive, you may have to write it yourself. For my first sites, I wrote most of the content. And eventually I got to the point where I had enough revenue to reinvest and had a budget. That said, I always did invest a little bit in contractors and freelancers because I knew that was gonna be a good skill. So even if I couldn't have like all the content written by freelancers, I would have about 10% for those first early years just to get the mechanics down, understand how to hire people, understand how to use the different platforms. I used Upwork um, in the beginning and have stuck with them. You know, they were called Odesk back in the day, but yeah, I stuck with them and, you know, figured out how to use those systems. So learn, (laughs) you gotta learn how to write. It's a good skill to have uh, no matter what, and it'll serve you well. Let's move on to, let's, let's do this quick one here with the accounting question. So this is from Lauren, who I actually interviewed a little while back. She sold a site for over six figures. I think it was, you know, I don't remember how much, but it was a lot. And she had a website. Check that out. I don't remember which episode it is, but maybe we could link it up in the show notes if I remember to tell my VA to uh, put that in there. So Lauren is wrestling with accounting software. So she has four niche sites and some other streams of income. And she has she was using FreshBooks for many years and it's not working for her anymore. And I'm not, I've never used FreshBooks. I thought it was, I thought a lot of these were pretty much comparable and interchangeable. And it was kind of like, you know, using Excel versus Google Sheets versus uh, numbers on on a Mac, you know, pretty much the same. And if you're used to one, you can pretty much do the same thing in the other tools. It's just the buttons are in different places and it's just, <laughs> it's just different enough to frustrate you. So Lauren asked if I use QuickBooks, she heard it was better. And she was just wondering if I had any experience in QuickBooks, FreshBooks, another alternative. And she said she might actually just use Excel and the bank's online software to kind of just brute force it until she found a better solution. So I haven't explored this topic area much. And basically I use um, a free tool, it's called Wave, and I do my own bookkeeping. So I do have an accountant to handle the corporate structure and all the payroll and all the all the other stuff, like the the area that a professional really needs to do. However, bookkeeping is fairly straightforward, at least the way I do my accounting. And it helps me keep an eye on, you know, revenue expenses. I see exactly, you know, where I'm paying money each month and I true it up 
every month. So at the, you know, like the third day of each new month, I'll do the previous month and then just have that log. Some people do it quarterly. That would be appropriate too. And to be perfectly honest with you, I am behind a little bit. So I do have uh, like the previous month to do and I'm, you know, a couple weeks behind here. So occasionally I get lazy. I did some rough figuring. I look at the the numbers and I'm like, okay, we're where we need to be. There's no weird expenses here that I didn't expect. All this adds up to me. So I'm using this tool called Wave because back when I started, my wife was doing the bookkeeping. So she wanted to help out a little bit and she set it up with Wave because she actually, she didn't want to pay for FreshBooks. She's extremely frugal and she's like, why the fuck? You know, these tools uh, cost whatever, $10 a month, which is, you know, it's a very small amount. I don't know what they cost now, but it was a very small amount. She was like, I don't want to pay that. I think we can do it for free. She found this tool called Wave and I just kept using it because things were mostly set up there and she stopped uh, doing the bookkeeping after, you know, a year or so. Maybe she got busy or I had more free time or something. Wave is fine. I don't think it's as as, as integrated with other platforms as some of the other tools. However, Wave has been developing more and more capabilities. And I'm I'm pretty sure it's almost comparable with some of the other tools out there. Wave works for me and I have the process down. So, um, I mean, I've done it a lot of times. So it only takes me about an hour per month or so. And that is, you know, categorizing everything, taking a look at each of the expenses, each of the pieces of revenue and, you know, the, it, it's not very complex, at least the way I do it. The output that I get is good enough for me to understand what's going on and for my accountant for end of year, uh, you know, taxes and just understanding what's going on in the business. So I don't have a review of QuickBooks. I've never used FreshBooks. I've only used Wave. I do my own bookkeeping and keep it fairly simple. My accountant does all the quarterly taxes uh, does my personal taxes and the business taxes for the corporate structure and everything, uh, you know, knock on wood, it works out fine. I pay, you know, taxes quarterly, which, you know, once your business gets rolling, depending on what you're doing, very important to have that shit in order. I set aside a certain amount based on what I earn. And as time has gone on, like I, I really understand, you know, about how much I'm going to need to pay even before my accountant tells me and you know when I need to pay it. So it's fairly straightforward. I mentioned this, uh, must've been like 200 shows ago, but when you hit a certain amount of revenue, you have to, you have to pay a little more often. So I, I don't remember the threshold, but you know, it's, it's up there and you have to pay. I can't remember if it was monthly or every, it, it was more often than quarterly. So I'll put it that way. And the IRS sends you a notification and they're like, congratulations, you're making a shitload of money. Now you have to pay taxes more frequently. And if you have an accountant, they'll help you out setting it up, but it's just a matter of scheduling the payments, probably to the IRS, um, potentially to your state, depending on where you are. This is not financial advice, consult your own professional. I just know certain things happen at certain uh, income levels. So 
keep that in mind and you could talk to your accountant about it. Lauren did reply back and said, I appreciate the info about Wave. She signed up. It's free. Yeah, that was the other thing. It's free. It's still free. I think if you use some of the more advanced capabilities, you may have to pay a little bit, but I don't pay and I'm you know running my business. Everything is going fine. So thanks, Lauren, for asking this question. Definitely more on the advanced side. And if you're just coming up, I wouldn't worry about, you know, forming a company, like creating um, more complexity than you need early on. Again, consult a professional to figure out when the right time is to form a business, but you actually can operate as, at least in the U.S., as a sole proprietor. And if you have a W-2 job, your side income is going to be taxed as normal income. Again, just entertainment not financial advice, not accounting advice, not legal advice or anything like that. All right, next question here. This one's from AJ, pretty uh, meaty one here. So, hello, Doug. What do you think about a site traffic? Hold on, let's see. There's always like a couple words missing here or something. It's probably not AJ's fault, but you know, people type on their phone and then I get an email I'm reading it verbatim, or I'm trying to, maybe it's my fault, not AJ's. All right. Basically, AJ has a site that has uh, declining traffic over time. However, it still made $800 last month. I do not work on the site uh, for a long time. God damn it. All right. I don't work on the site. I haven't worked on the site for a long time. Now somebody wants to buy it for 10K. Should I sell it or work on it and recover the traffic? Okay. So... There's a couple pieces in here that are interesting. So this is probably a fairly common question, especially if someone has a site and it's been earning money for a little while and they kind of get bored with it, with it and they're doing something else and they just neglect it. And I've, I've been there too. You know, you get sort of complacent. And nowadays, I mean, Google, I've seen them recommend on some of their live Q and A's or even on uh, potentially on Twitter where they say, Hey, you should be spending half your time improving the old content, making sure it's up to date and half your time publishing new content. So, you know, splitting your time 50, 50 on old content and new content, which seems, you know, staggering compared to what we used to think years ago where you set up the site, you just let it hang out. Now there's more competition. Google is really viewing freshness and updating your content as something that's really important. And they're telling us that specifically. So number one, I told AJ, I wouldn't sell it for 10K. I think that's a fairly low offer for declining site, unless there are big red flags, which I, I don't know what the site is. I don't know any of the other details, just that it earned $800 last month and it's been declining. So conceivably it's been earning more. And then he got a low ball offer, a very low ball offer, which if I did the math right is a 12 X multiple. As I mentioned earlier, multiples are in the mid thirties. So you take the monthly income and you multiply it by 35 and you end up with, you know, some number. So a 12 X multiple is extremely low unless the site has, I'm just going to make up some examples. It could have a really bad 
backlink profile where there's spammy backlinks. Maybe the content is really garbage and not good at all. Maybe the decline is a little bit more severe than what we can convey in such a short question. So maybe the you know the traffic was you know a hundred thousand page views per month, and now it's down to ten thousand page views per month. So it's seen a, a huge decline and just represents and looks like a big risk because it may still decline a lot more. So I would you know potentially sell it if there was a a little bit of a better offer. It sounds like, you know, someone saw an opportunity and they're like, this site has been declining. I'm just going to offer a very low amount because it looks like the person hasn't updated the site in a long time. They're neglecting it and they may not know what they have. So I would potentially sell it for a higher multiple, but 10,000 for a site making $800 a month, that's pretty low. So I would look a little harder, maybe negotiate, maybe counter offer and say, Hey, what about, you know, 20 K I'm just making up that number. I don't know what works for you. A 12 X multiple is definitely a low ball offer. Now, the other part of the question is whether you should work on it and try to recover the site. So I would say if you have the desire and the energy and motivation to work on the site, then maybe you can go and improve it. The thing is, if you have low interest, if, I mean, if you've been neglecting the site for a long time, my hunch is you don't really give a shit and you don't want to work on it and you have low interest in it in general. If that's the case, you know, maybe you could sell it for 10K, be happy, go on with your life, maybe start a new one, whatever. Maybe you buy a boat. I don't know how much boats, boats cost. Maybe that's just a little one, <laughs> but you can do something with 10K. If you're thinking, I actually like the site. I'm interested in the topic area. I do have some motivation. I want to get back in there. I want to work on the site. Then sure, maybe you can put together a plan and start executing. I would say you should set aside, you know, at least a year or so to do some work, allow time for recovery, allow uh, some time for, I guess, just seeing what happens. So you'll come up with a plan, you'll start executing, things are going to turn out a little different than you expect, and you may have to adapt a little bit. You may also have to iterate more on the content. So maybe you, you run through and you improve certain content and then you uh, you know go through all the content on the site and then maybe you go back and start doing it again. Maybe you start publishing new content. Maybe you do link building. There's many options. So if you hear me saying that and you're thinking, nah, I, don't, I don't know if I really want to do all that. I'm really busy or whatever. Maybe you should skip it and just figure out something else to do. I can tell you whatever plan, whatever estimate you come up with for the, the cost, for the amount of time that you're going to spend on it, for how long you think it's going to take to recover, double or triple those. Back in the project management days, 
when you estimate a job, you usually, I mean, you try to do the best you can based on historical information that you have. And we had a shitload of projects to look at and we knew, you know, what our budget was and we knew how much the old projects were, but you're always off. There's always unforeseen things that pop up. Issues arise, life happens, like just things are going to get in your way and things are probably going to take longer than you think. So when we estimated jobs, usually we knew it was a range of, you know, 50% of whatever the estimate was up to about 150. So we're just trying to get, you know, somewhere in the ballpark as you start the work, as you start executing, you have a better understanding of the results you're getting, how much time it takes to do the work, and you can refine your estimate as time goes on. So the very beginning of the project, you don't know what you don't know. You have some areas that you think might be pitfalls. They might turn out to be okay. And there's going to be other issues that pop up that you did not think about. So you have kind of a, a wide a wide estimate. And as time goes on, you can narrow it down because you have information from the real work that you're actually doing. So all that to say, when you're estimating work, which you should come up with a plan, you should estimate it you should expect that you're going to be wrong (laughs) by maybe a significant amount. And if you overestimate, if you go ahead and double or triple whatever you think it might be, it's going to be much closer to what the actual timeline is. It'll be much closer to the actual expenses and budget. Of course, on the budget side, often you have a fixed budget. You can't go above that. So that's something that you have to track even more closely to keep it under control so that you don't have a project like, you know, we're talking about, you know, Mac, if he's borrowing money at a very high interest rate, the math is just never going to work out. It might, right? There are scenarios and, you know, people will potentially email me and say, hey, actually I went into debt and it worked out okay. That is absolutely possible, but you have to look at, you know, number one, your risk tolerance and your risk capacity, which are different things. So if you have, if you have a high paying job and you have a lot of cash flow, a lot of extra money that you can spend each month, then your capacity for risk might be pretty high because you can weather any issues because you have a lot of money to spend and each month you get more. So your capacity could be really high. Or if you saved a whole lot of money and you have like six figures to invest over the next couple of years, your capacity for risk is really high. You can weather the storm. Your psychological risk tolerance might be different. If anything risky pops up, if it stresses you out, your tolerance could be really low. If you don't get stressed out, if you can handle a lot of risk, your risk tolerance could be big. So there's a, a different a different idea there. And I'm, I'm mixing the two uh, questions from AJ and Mac together, but I think you get the general idea here. So I would, I would uh, think about what you want to do, AJ, if you want to spend time on the site, if you don't care about it, 10K is a low ball offer as far as I can tell. And I would probably at least try to counter offer if you do want to sell the site. Next, this one's from Brian. Actually, he is a fellow Georgian. He He's a sort of local in Colorado, which is sort of cool. And he has a specific blog and he's working on it. 
and he is asking about silos. So what are my thoughts on silo linking the content on blog articles to the main products and services on the website to drive traffic? And one side note, he put some other details about his website, which I won't share here since they are, uh, you know, a little confidential. Uh, but Brian says, I love the uh, Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, but you got to enjoy the Bulldogs going all the way. And he says, I would love to connect in person, email or call. Well, honestly, so a couple things. So Brian, I'll talk about the meeting in person. There were a couple people in the Boulder area who were like, hey, we should meet up. I haven't done a meetup in a while, but a few years ago, gosh, it's been a while. I think it was 2018. I did a meetup when I was traveling through Denver and we had, I think like five or six people show up, which is pretty cool. Cause I think the audience is much bigger now. And I know there's a lot more people in this area, but it's been a long time since I've had a meetup. It's been a long time since I've threatened to have a meetup. But it seems like there's enough people where we could actually get a handful of folks together and just meet up and chat about niche sites and all that stuff. Plus, Matt Giovanisi lives pretty close by, so we could like go meet up at a brewery or something close by and just hang out. Matt has an audience as well. We could probably end up with a pretty decent crowd, although I wouldn't want it to be too many, but there's quite a lot of people in the Denver area, and I know you know, sometimes people will make the trek and drive an hour, hour and a half to meet up for something sort of special that doesn't happen too often. So that may happen. Before I answer your uh, question, Brian, so my wife and I went to Georgia Tech. And for the people that don't know, the University of Georgia and Georgia Tech are rivals. They teach us as soon as you get to either school to, uh, you know, hate the other school. So just one of the classic rivalries. And it turns out most of my friends ended up go, going to uh, Georgia, at least like professionally for a few years. Of course, I had a handful of friends from Georgia Tech. But uh, Brian, to answer your question, I mean, I don't even, I don't give a fuck about the sports at all. Um, but just, I, you know, I don't like the Bulldogs. I don't enjoy the Bulldogs going all the way. Um, yeah, very low interest. And yeah, just generally don't like the Bulldogs because that's what they taught us at Georgia Tech as soon as you got into uh, the dorms there. Now, I know uh, most of the time, and I know personally, and I will include myself, the, the people that go to Georgia Tech, I mean, it's an engineering and technical school. Big nerds go to Georgia Tech. I'm an engineer, my wife's an engineer, and most of my friends uh, were big nerds. Uh, luckily, the niche site industry, <laughs> is filled with other nerds. So, you know, we we feel welcome. Feels good. And, uh, you know, the Georgia Bulldogs, they're much cooler. They got the great football team, all that kind of stuff. But anyway, just had to throw that in specifically. Um, so, yeah, we don't like the Bulldogs. It's just something we believe. Okay. Brian, your question about silo linking. Yeah, that's fine. You can create a silo and you did mention, you know, products on your website and for e-commerce sites, it can be a really nice way to set up the hierarchy with your URL structure and the internal linking structure and being very deliberate about how you're linking. I haven't tested this, but my thought 
around silos versus just methodical link building is uh, you probably can avoid the architecture and the complication of silo link building if you want to. You can do that. And if you go to some e-commerce stores or even big retail online shops, they will have a, a very specific, a very tight hierarchy, URL structure, parent-child relationship, where the silos are very specific and there's breadcrumbs that are also very specific. I think most of the time you can intentionally link and get the same kind of benefits. So the siloing can represent a technical challenge and internally linking in a methodical way, thinking about like content clusters. um, You probably can do that a little bit more easily. And I think I would probably do that and have generally adopted that approach. If you know what is going to be on the website in maybe a specific silo, then it can be fairly straightforward. Let's say you're creating a content cluster around a certain topic with uh, one sort of larger search volume keyword, more popular keyword, and then a bunch of very long tail, low competition keywords, you maybe can design the silo when you publish it because you know the you know 20 articles that you are going to write about already. And the that can be a great approach. The thing that I messed up with and that sometimes people do have issues with is if you're thinking, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna build the site this way. Maybe you don't have much experience as far as site architecture. So you design it in a certain way and then things shift as they do, your plans change and your content is a little different and you end up with what you thought were going to be like very specific silos. Those change and then you you have like a very weird architecture and you are having trouble fitting in the new content that you're going to publish in these silos that you have created. So at that point, you are thinking, ah, maybe I got to create more silos. Maybe you realize that you have put certain content in silos that actually don't belong there and you have to fix the problem. So it's a technical problem that you can fix and it's not overly complicated. However, it does get a little messy and it's more complex than it has to be. So you can fix it with, you know, changing URLs and using 301 redirects in your HD access file, for example. So you can solve the problem and it should be transparent to the visitors. Google should understand what you're trying to do with a 301 redirects, but if you don't know what 301 redirects are, HT access, if you don't know what those are, that is the complexity that I'm talking about. So you you can fix it. It is merely a technical problem that is solvable, but it ends up being more complex than it needs to be. And I know this personally because I did this niche site project. I have, I don't know how many lines in my HT access file with redirects because I've restructured things. I've changed URLs and tried to organize things in a better way. I've deleted a lot of content. So I have a lot of URLs that used to exist that don't anymore. And I need to tell Google where to go if that URL is accessed. So no one hits a 404 page. And if there's link juice associated with that URL, it's rerouted properly to a relevant URL, hopefully relevant. So silos, 
Sure, you could do it if you want to. Deliberate internal linking probably does the job. That's all the questions for today. Thanks to Brian, Lauren, AJ, and Mac for sending them in. I actually have a couple other questions too, so we'll probably do another mailbag fairly soon. If you want to have your question featured, you can shoot me an email, feedback at doug.show, and I'll probably feature it. Um, a lot of times we have uh, similar questions, common questions that come out, and I'll um, group them up and um, you know sometimes combine them. I typically give people a shout out, just their first name, so and I don't read any of the details. Even if you put them in uh, the email, I don't read the specifics of your website just to you know keep that stuff confidential. And quick reminder: if you're you're over on the YouTube side, check out the audio podcast. There are some other other um, episodes that never make it over on the YouTube side. If you're listening to the podcast on the audio version, really appreciate it. If you have the opportunity in either case to share the show, I do a lot of success story interviews. If you found one specifically inspiring, or if you know someone who's you know struggling with a specific issue, send it over. It helps the show. I am just trying to grow the show and get more listeners and, and more viewers and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, I try not to load up with too many ads or anything like that. So I appreciate it if you could help spread the word and I, uh, will catch you on the next episode here. 